0: This is episode two, The Koya Brothers, Batzig, and Morley. Welcome. What was that look for? Oh
1: my God. I was expecting you to say welcome to Miners of Mayhem first.
0: Oh, sorry. That's all right. I'm going to do that now. Does that count? You do you. Okay. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> welcome to Miners of Mayhem, a true crime podcast where miners become murderers with Eden and Brianna. I'm Eden and I'm Brianna and today I'm bringing you a crime of betrayal and horrific brutality so come along for the ride and if you have tiny humans now's a good time to put them down for a nap I will be giving a heads up before the graphic details so those of you who would rather not hear those parts you'll be able to skip ahead ready Here we go. Yeah, I'm ready. I don't think I've ever heard this one. Well, as we get further along, you'll have to let me know if you've heard it or not. I will. Okay, sounds great. I'll just interrupt. (laughs) So, perfect. I honestly think I could have made a two-hour podcast out of this case, but as we really would like to keep our shows around the 30-minute mark or less, I have condensed and summarized information while still getting the basics of the crime. So, we're off. Jason Sweeney was born July 29, 1986 in Fishtown, Philadelphia, where he lived with his father, Paul, mother Dawn, and younger sister Melissa. Jason's mom described him as being, quote, a kind and gentle soul, unquote. Jason dreamed of becoming a Navy SEAL and was actually accepted into the Valley Forge Military School, but unfortunately. At that time, they could not afford the tuition. Determined to attend Valley Forge, Jason worked construction for his dad's small construction company. Jason worked hard, respected and loved his parents, and had a great relationship with his little sister. It seemed that no one, including his construction co-workers, had a negative thing to say about Jason. Jason's best friend was Edward Bat... (laughs) That's a mouthful. Sorry. I'll try that again. (laughs) Jason's best friend was Edward Batzig, Jr., age 16, whom we will refer to as Eddie from here on out. Batzig, you said? Batzig. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So Jason and Eddie had been best friends since the fourth grade. Eddie even joined Jason on vacation. Unfortunately, as Eddie grew older, he began getting into more and more trouble. He also began using drugs, including marijuana, prescription drugs, and heroin. So Eddie's path concerned Dawn, whom's Jason's mother, and she wanted Jason to back away from their friendship, to which Jason's response was maybe Eddie would change if he continued to be around Jason, as he did not do those sort of things. To me, this truly shows what kind of person Jason was. He was not going to give up on his best friend.
1: I don't think I would either. Yeah. That's a long... That's a
0: long friendship, starting at the fourth grade.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, Jason also had a girlfriend that he had been dating for about two weeks. And this was 15-year-old Justina Morley. She was Jason's very first girlfriend and he really seemed to like her. Now Justina was quite a messed up girl. She started dabbling in drugs at the age of 10, including marijuana, cocaine, heroin, and prescription drugs. At the young age of 14, she was hospitalized for suicidal thoughts and self-harm. Not wanting to stay in the hospital, Justina manipulated her mom into removing her from the hospital AMA. Against medical advice. Yes. Oh boy. Justina also was expelled from public school, resulting in being enrolled in the Holy Name of Jesus private Catholic school. Uh, What? She was expelled. From school, She was expelled? Yes. From a church? No. She from, <laughs> not from church, but from... She was expelled from private, or not private school, public school. Oh, why'd she get expelled? Well, from what I could find, I read that she had brought two pocket knives to school. Oh
1: my.
0: Yeah. I couldn't verify this, so take the info with a grain of salt, but that's all I could come up with. So continuing. Sorry about that, I was shooing away kids. (laughs) Kids and flies. I got distracted. Yes, you did, that's all right. So this girl definitely had some serious mental issues going on, obviously. Inside Jason's circle of friends were brothers Dominic, age 17, and Nicholas Koya, age 16. These brothers were also very sketchy fellas. They were known by the law for petty theft and the use of illegal drugs, including prescription drugs, heroin, and probably anything they could use to get high, including marijuana laced with embalming fluid. And yes, I did say embalming fluid. Now, why would they
1: lace marijuana with embalming fluid? Like, what would that do?
0: Well... It's a really good question because I didn't know the answer to that either, and I had to find out on the wonderful world of Google. And what I found was embalming fluid is supposed to make the marijuana burn more slowly and give a prolonged high. And it's also known to have an a halluc- this is a word. Hallucinogenic. <laughs> Which includes the feelings of euphoria and sometimes even rage.
1: Well, that's interesting. <clears throat> you know, now that you say, say that, I, uh, I remember an episode on Yellowstone where I think Rip beat up like a mortish, mortician. Yeah. Like he went to and he was smoking
0: embalming fluid. Oh, wow. Did I miss that episode? I don't know. Was that the last season? I don't know. Gosh, now I'm gonna have to go back and (laughs) read. Maybe it's not even Yellowstone. (laughs) Well, you said
1: rip, right? I'm pretty
0: sure. Oh,
1: wait, was it? Never mind.
0: Continue. Was it suits? Come on. We all know you're a suits girl. No. Okay. So moving on, I had a hard time figuring out why such a hardworking, seemingly good kid like Jason surrounded himself with these troubled teens. Excuse me, I have a frog. All better. Um, They were absolutely nothing like Jason. The only thing my thoughts could come up with is maybe he was hoping he could be a positive influence in their troubled lives maybe. Yeah, maybe. So, with that said, uh, on May 30th, 2000- <laughs> get it together. My tongue is like. On May 30th, 2003, Jason and Justina had a date planned when Jason got off from work. Now, there's an area by the Delaware River called the Trails, and they planned to go there with the intention of having sex. When Jason did not return home from his date, his parents became very worried. This was so out of character for Jason, as he was a very responsible young man. They called him several times but were unable to reach him. His parents finally called the police to report him missing. When they made the report, they were asked about any identifying marks, tattoos, scars, etc. And they did report that he had obtained a pretty nasty cut on his hand at the construction job. Now, I want you to stash this tidbit into your brain stash box for later because it will become very important. Noted. Noted. So here's where I'm going to give the heads up. I'm going to begin discussing some gruesome stuff. So if you don't want to hear or you need to put your tiny humans down for a nap, now's a good time. The following day, two teenage boys were out at the trails when they came across a very gruesome discovery. Lying motionless on the ground was a body covered in blood with his pants down around his ankles and shirtless. The police were immediately called and when they arrived at the scene, there was no way to identify the body visually as the trauma to the head was so severe that all that was left was eyebrows and hair.
1: Oh, my
0: lanta. That's it? Yes, ma'am. Oof. Is this case ringing a bell to you yet? Maybe a little. I don't know. Okay, we'll keep going. His teeth were scattered on the ground next to him. Nearby, they did discover a bloodied rock and a hatchet. Obviously, more than likely, the weapons used on the victim. The body was transported to the M.E. while the police continued to scour the scene. Now, nearby, there was a meager little camping site where a homeless man was staying. They took the homeless man in for questioning and soon realized he had a rock-solid alibi as he was at a homeless shelter the day of the murder, and this was verified by workers at the shelter. And truly, how often does murder get solved that easily? Seriously, wishful thinking that it could be done that quick. If only it could be that way, right? Right. So, one of the things the police did right away was go over the missing person reports to see if they could find one to match the victim. And, of course, they came across the missing person's report that was from the night prior of 16-year-old Jason Sweeney. Now remember, this victim's face was beaten severely. All the bones in the face and head were destroyed, minus one cheekbone on the left side. There were gashes extending from the chin to the nose, and parts of the face were just plain gone, making it impossible to make a positive ID. Now, rewind back to our brain stash from earlier. The victim in the morgue was identified. By a recent cut on his hand, which matched the missing person report of 16 year old Jason Sweeney. A photo was taken of the cut on the hand and taken to the Sweeney home, where it was confirmed that this was the cut Jason obtained on his construction job. Oh, no. Giving the victim in the morgue a positive identity of 16 year old Jason Sweeney.
1: 16.
0: Yes, ma'am and it gets even worse
1: i don't think i wanna (laughs) (laughs)
0: Hmm. let's hear it okay here we go investigators asked the sweeney family the obvious questions did jason have any enemies who were his friends who was the last known person he was known to be with the family provided the police with a list of jason's friends and the last person that he was known to be with, his girlfriend, Justina Morley. This list included his best friend, Eddie Batzig, and the brothers, Nicholas and Dominic Koya. They began with Justina, as I can only assume because she was the last person known to be with Jason. When Justina was told by the investigator that Jason was found brutally murdered, Justina showed zero emotion or shock.
1: Now, they've only been dating two weeks, you said.
0: Yes, correct. That's, that's long enough to show emotion. Or shock or something. Can you say red flag here? Yes. She told the police that Jason was supposed to be at a party Friday night, but he never showed up and she was bummed. Police were able to secure Justina's phone records, and for someone that was so bummed that her boyfriend did not show up, she sure didn't bother to try to call him, not even once. Now, if that was me, I would be blowing up my boyfriend's cell phone. I would not appreciate being blown off or stood up, and you can bet I would let it be known. So to me, this just stinks like rotten fish.
1: You said that he's a pretty decent kid. Yes. He doesn't seem like the kind of person that would blow somebody off without letting him know what's going on.
0: Yeah. That's my take, too, that he wouldn't do such a thing. So. Sus. Very. Investigators went on to bring in the rest of the friends on the list and question them. Now, their stories were exactly the same as Justina's, to the point where investigators thought something was off and that their answers seemed very rehearsed. Each one of these teens denied knowing who would want to hurt Jason and that everyone just loved him. Now, I'm going to skip ahead to try to just hit some highlights so I can at least attempt to keep this episode within our desired time frame. So we're going to jump back to Justina. She once again was questioned, and the investigators were basically calling bullcrap on her and offered Justina a deal if she would tell everything she knew. And just like that, Justina sang like a canary. So we're going to get into it here. On May 30th, 2003, Jason and Justina had a planned date. They went out to the trails by the Delaware River with the intention of having their first sexual encounter. They arrived at their destination and began making out while Eddie, Nicholas, and Dominic hid in the bushes. When Jason had his jeans down around his ankles, of note, this part was planned so that he couldn't run away. On a three, on a three count, the teens jumped out, and attacked Jason. And that's such a vulnerable state to be in anyway. Oh, you bet. That's exactly why they did that. Oh, that's gross. So, the first blow was done by Jason's best friend, Eddie. He hit Jason as hard as he could. So hard, in fact, that he buried the hatchet three inches into Jason's forehead. Jason and Eddie were best friends? Yes, ma'am. And his girlfriend was in on it? We'll get to that. Oh, okay. According to sources I found on the internet, Eddie begged to be the one to throw the first blow. This gives true meaning to the age old saying, with friends like this, who needs enemies? Eddie continued to hit Jason with the hatchet four or five more times. Eddie told the investigator, quote, Jason started begging for his life, but we just kept hitting him. Unquote. Eddie also said that Jason looked up at him and said, Unquote. please stop. I am bleeding. Unquote. For which Eddie swung the hatchet and hit him again. At some point, Jason tried to get away, and Dominic jumped on his back and started hitting him with the hammer. Jason was struck so hard in the head that the hammer actually became stuck. Are you kidding me? No, ma'am. Sometime during this melee, Jason's final words were said to, be to Justina, in which he said, You set me up. After the hits with the hammer, Jason stopped moving. And the final blow came in the form of a rock being dropped on his head. <coughs> Excuse me. This is sick. Yes, ma'am. As Jason lays there near death or already dead, I couldn't find that for sure. The teens grabbed his wallet, took his ID and his $5, $500 cash. It was his payday
1: from work. Do you think that's what the motive was?
0: I think part of it. But when you look at the differences between these teens, there had to be some envy, some jealousy, because here you have this good kid who wants to make something of his life. He has a job. He doesn't do drugs, do alcohol. He has a great family. Those kids didn't have that or they didn't bother to go out and get that for themselves. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Mm. So back to the story. Um, After they took his $500 cash, they shared an excited group hug and split the money. Each of them getting $125 in which they used that money to buy jewelry, Xanax, marijuana, and heroin. Dominic stated they, quote, partied beyond redemption.
1: I I don't even know what to say. That's horrible.
0: Yes, ma'am. That you
1: have your girlfriend and your best friend do that to you, betrayal?
0: Total betrayal, yes. So after the murder, they went to a friend's house, his name was Josh from what I could find, and they washed their bloody clothes. And according to this Josh fella, the teens seemed to be shaking with what appeared to be excitement from what they had done. How's that make you feel?
1: Sickening, huh? I, I honestly feel nauseous. Yes, ma'am.
0: So apparently there were a few other plans that did not work out. One of the plans was to have a party at Jason's house, where Justina would lure him to the back room and kill him. Another at
1: a party? Yeah,
0: at Jason's own house. Another one was to take Ju- Justin, take Jason, excuse me, to New Jersey and murder him over there because I believe that's just across the river. I, and um, I also read in my research sites that there was even a plan to kill the whole Sweeney family and not just Josh. Were they jealous of this family because of how accomplished they were? That is the only thing that I can come up with. I, there's no... They never... Did come out and say why?
1: Well, I'm sorry. Life sucks
0: and you have to work for what you want and desire. Exactly. Don't sit on your ass and mooch off other people and just sit there and do drugs or, you know, and steal from other people who are actually out there doing the damn thing. These kids can go to hell. Okay. So I'm going to jump into how screwed up these teens were. While being transported to the preliminary hearing, apparently Justina stripped for all the boys in the transport, transport van. And this was in the actual court testimony. So this is a fact. She stripped. Stripped. Yep. stripped. Attention whore. If you go look up a picture of her, Brianna, you, she looks dead inside. Completely dead. Like, yes. Icky. Yes. Pond scum, icky. Like, icky. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Mm. (laughs) So, anyway, their behavior at the preliminary hearing was nothing less than despicable. They were all laughing at different times and just appeared to not really care at all about what they'd done to their so called best friend. So there's that. Now, on a side note here, if you guys have the time, I would go and check out the recording of the questioning from the investigators. And you can see how nonchalant, arrogant that these people are and how they really didn't give a flying crap. It is the most chilling thing that I've seen in my life. I'll do
1: that whenever we're done recording.
0: Yeah, get ready to just want to vomit. Okay. And I mean literally vomit.
1: I already want to vomit. This case is disgusting.
0: Yes, ma'am. So the Koya brothers and Eddie were all tried as adults, as they should be. Um, They were charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy, robbery, and possessing an instrument of crime for which they received mandatory life in prison without parole for the murder, plus 22 to 45 years for conspiracy, robbery, and possession of an instrument of crime. Now, Justina was also tried as an adult, and she pled guilty to third-degree murder due to the plea deal in exchange for her testimony. So, she was sentenced to 17 to 35 years in prison. So, when I was searching all this information I could find on this case, I literally read somewhere that she was released on parole on December 20th of 2020. So, of course, I literally had to jump down this rabbit hole and see what I could find out. And guess what I found? Nothing. Was she put in witness protection? I have no idea. So I'm going to say this. If any listeners can find any information, shoot us an email and we'll add an update to the next episode. She, she got released in 2020. That is what now. Remember, this took place in 2003. So she spent 17 years in. Right. And wasn't 2020 the year that we got hit with the pandemic? Yeah. So. Maybe there was, there could have been more to the story. You know, I I don't want to jump down that hole, but you know what I'm getting
1: at. Yep.
0: So, anyway, listeners, shoot us an email if you can find anything. So I would like to read some quotes from letters written by Justina to Dominic while they were in jail awaiting trial. And this will give you a good example of this sick and twisted little girl. In the letters, she wrote, I am a cold-blooded, death-worshipping bitch who survives by feeding off the weak and lonely. I lure them, and then I crush them. I am guilty, but I still don't feel guilty for anything. I enjoy my flashbacks. They give me comfort. I love them, Unquote. And if you guys could see the look on Brianna's face, Yeah. Are
1: you kidding me? No, ma'am. I. Oh,
0: you look dumbstruck. Honestly, you do.
1: I can't. I can't even say what I'm feeling right now.
0: I can see that written all over your face. I cannot wait till we do live video (laughs) because, you know, your emotions are out there like a. Yeah, I don't try to hide them. (laughs) No, I can say a thousand words with my facial expression. So there's that too. But once again, I want to say that our podcast focuses on minors and their heinous crimes. But we want to express that our hearts always go out to the victim's families. They don't deserve any of what happens to them and are just, Our hearts bleed for them. And he seemed like
1: another asset to society. I mean, he was working for what he wanted.
0: So I'm going to end this episode. I'm going to share with you a part, and I might start crying. I don't know. I'm choking up. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh boy. I'm going to end this episode with... um, a quote. Do you need me to read it? No, that brought tears to my eyes. I'm fighting my tears right now. Can't see my screen. I didn't just lose a son. I lost my best friend. And That was Paul Sweeney, his father. (laughs) And there's the tears. (laughs) Woof.
1: Wow. I couldn't imagine. No. I don't wish this upon anybody. This was a hard one to cover. Yeah, I would say. I struggled. Very bad with this one.
0: So, we are open to suggestions, questions, case ideas, or for any reason whatsoever. You can email us at minersofmayhem at gmail.com we also will be going to video i we don't know when the launch date for that is going to be we'll keep you posted on that brianna can you kindly tell them where our youtube channel is because i don't have that in front of me
1: yeah i think it's just youtube.com slash at minersofmayhem
0: perfect um We also would like to talk about our us not being sure about when we're going to do release dates. Right now, we're just trying to work everything in around work and family life, and so we don't have a set date. But we're kind of looking at Saturdays, maybe Sundays, recording and and, uh, uploading all in the same day. So we are definitely going to try to bring all of you listeners some consistency once we get this figured out. In the meantime, thank you for listening and please stay safe. Bye. Bye.